And so today we're going to be at Hosea chapter 9. We're going to go ahead and read the whole chapter. Um, and then we'll back up and see what we can find in it. Hosea chapter 9 says, Rejoice not, O Israel. Now can you imagine the Lord telling you to not, to not rejoice? Right off the bat. So things are not going to be good. Rejoice not, O Israel, for joy is other people. For thou hast gone a whoring from thy God, and thou hast loved a reward upon every corn floor. So it's really a rebuke what we're going to see here. Uh, verse 2 says, The floor and the winepress shall not feed them, and the new wine shall fail in her. They shall not dwell in the Lord's land, but Ephraim shall return to Egypt, and they shall eat unclean things in Assyria. And they shall not offer wine offerings to the Lord, neither shall they be pleasing unto him. Their sacrifices shall be unto them as the bread of mourners. All that eat thereof shall be polluted, for their bread, for their soul shall not come into the house of the Lord. Verse 5, What will ye do in the solemn day and in the day of the feast of the Lord? For lo, they are gone because of the destruction. Egypt shall gather them up. Memphis shall bury them, the pleasant places for their silver, the nettles shall possess them, thorns shall be in their tabernacles. The days of visitation are come, the days of recompense are come, Israel shall know it. The prophet is a fool, the spiritual man is mad for the multitude of thine iniquity and thy great hatred. The watchman of Ephraim was with my God, but the prophet is a snare of a fowler in all his ways and hatred in the house of his God. They have deeply corrupted themselves as in the days of Gibeah. Therefore he will remember their iniquity. He will visit their sins. I found Israel like grapes in the wilderness. I saw your fathers as the first ripe in the fig tree at the first time. But they went to Baal Peor and separated themselves unto that shame. And their abominations were according as they loved. As for Ephraim, their glory shall fly away like a bird from the birth and from the womb and from the conception. Though they bring up their children, yet will I bereave them that there shall not be a man left. Yea, woe also unto them when I depart from them. Ephraim, as I saw Tyrus, is planted in a pleasant place, but Ephraim shall bring forth his children to the murderer. Give them, O Lord, what wilt thou give? Give them a miscarrying womb and dry breasts. All their wickedness is in Gilgal, for there I hated them for their wickedness of their doings. I will drive them out of mine house, and I will love them no more. All their princes are revolters. Ephraim is smitten, their root is dried up, and they shall bear no fruit. Yea, though they bring forth, yet will I slay, even the beloved fruit of their womb. My God will cast them away, because they did not hearken unto him, and they shall be wanderers among the nations. Now that's about as depressing as you can get. Just when I thought the chapter before was bad. It just keeps getting worse and worse. And now it's getting to the point where God is getting ready basically to just 
wipe the slate clean of the northern tribes of Israel. So on your handout, and we'll go through the, the outline of the book, because I just want to remind you, because we started back out with, with, um, with Hosea and Gomer, and that seems like years ago when we were talking about Gomer. That's been so far back. But it's, chapters 1 through 3 was an unfaithful wife to a faithful husband. Remember, God told Hosea to take a prostitute as a wife, and yet he, he does, and she doesn't, she doesn't straighten up, does she? She continues to play the prostitute, and he does that as an object lesson for Hosea. Now, like I said, I can't imagine what Hosea is going through. I mean, can't you just tell me, God, why do you have to show me in my own life? And so, an unfaithful wife to a faithful husband. And in chapters 7 through 7, 7 through 7, that doesn't make sense, 4 through 7, an unfaithful Israel to a faithful God. So the whole thing was object lesson for, with Hosea and Gomer to be an object lesson of what God was feeling like with the nation of Israel. And then chapters 8 through 10, the judgment judgment goes into your blank, of Israel for their unfaithfulness. And that's exactly where we're still at. And so we're going to get through chapter 9 today because, again, we just it's too depressing to keep just going through these <laughs> and breaking them down as deep as I'd like to break them down. And so we're going through the judgment. But then in chapters 11 through 14, we have the restoration of Israel. In fact, that's all these minor prophet books. That's the theme. The theme is God's going to judge his, his, the unfaithfulness of Israel and of his people, but God will restore them. And so we keep thinking through all this, and I keep thinking through it with all these people. It's like, okay, but it's okay. Even though they're going to go AWOL and get destroyed and get carried away to Assyria and all that happens, it's okay because God's going to bring them back at the end. Well, that's good, but what about all those people in the process? It's like they're going to be destroyed because they didn't obey God. And, and that's what breaks my heart. It's like they were God's people and they did everything that God said not to do. It, it's like that child that you have growing up and, and it's just strong-willed and you tell them, now, son, I don't want you, don't do this because if you do this... This is what's going to happen. And that's exactly what the nation of Israel is going to do. And the sad part is the northern tribes go, through, go into apostasy, but, and yet the southern tribes see it, and yet they do the same thing about 100 years later. So we read through the chapter. It's pretty depressing. And he tells them right off the bat, do not rejoice, because you really don't have anything to rejoice about, guys. Now... I'm so glad that's not us. I mean, even though we think it, we may have it bad, we know the Lord has better things for us and they're going to be coming fairly quick. And so, hallelujah. So chapter 9, your blank there, is the continuation of the destruction of Israel. You can put judgment or you can put destruction. Either one fits, fits that blank. Verse 1 says, rejoice not for Israel. So that also goes, that's your three blanks. Rejoice not for Israel as other people. 
And he's real, and it just tells him, for thou hast gone a whoring from thy God. So that's your next blank. For thou hast gone a whoring from thy God. And again, it's a broken record. We're seeing this thing over and over and over. And it's just a broken record of what's going on. You know, we have people in our country that will say, uh, basically, our country needs to get right with God. We need to get back to following Him. And the reason we're in the mess that we're in is because we're not doing it. Well, they are... That, that is a true statement, but again, it depends on do we really live in a Christian nation? And right now, I don't think we do. We actually have some Christians in our nation, but it's not, we're not the majority. Even most of the Christians in our nation today are not following the Lord. They're playing church. They're really not following God. They're, they're, fo- they're playing church. And so he says... It's a broken record. He says, Thou hast loved a reward. Right off verse 1, it says. And so what's the reward? Uh, it says, let me read this verse. It says, it says, Rejoice not, O Israel, for joy is other people. For thou hast gone a whoring from thy God. Thou hast loved a reward upon every corn floor. So what is he saying here? He's saying, okay, you guys are on the corn floors, you're on the, you're on the threshing floors, and you're there for, you know, to get crops. You're there because you're trying to get your, uh, you know, the, the food that you need. And he goes, you have loved a reward upon every corn floor. So what are we talking about? We're talking about, uh, like I said, the threshing floors of, of the crops here. And, a reward here is defined, I'm going to define it here, as a compensation for an idolatrous trick. Okay? The reward that I just talked about here in this verse is compensation for Israel doing a whorish trick. So, we got to get that in our mind here. These people... The Israelites are playing both sides of, of the fence here. They're trying to serve God, but then they're serving idols at the same time. And why are they doing that? Because it's cool. It's the thing. No, they're doing that because they're expecting to get something in return. So when that prostitute goes out and has a relationship with somebody... What are she? What as him or her? She's expecting something. The same thing with the nation of Israel. They're serving false gods. They're not just doing it for fun. They're doing it because they're expecting these false gods to give them something. It's because they don't believe that God can give them what they really need. They don't want to believe that. They want to do what they want to do. So, so what they've done was. And, and I'm jumping ahead of myself, they've went back to what God said, and God says, well, if you obey my laws, and, and if you, if you uh, obey my judgments and my statutes, then I will do this for you. Well, they took that to the extreme. They go, okay, well, uh, if, we just, if we just play church with God, then he'll do this for us. But if we, if we do the same thing with the idols, 
they'll do us the same thing. So we'll get more from them too. So they're expecting these idols to actually give them things. So when they were serving these false idols, they were expecting their crops to be better because they were falling down and serving these idols. And what was the idols they were following? Two golden calves. Now imagine, in our mind, that is so foreign. We're like, are you out of your mind? You would fall down and, and to a statue? And that's what these people are doing. And they're expecting something back. Now let me give you a, a, an example. And same thing goes on in India. Uh, in India, I have a friend of mine. I may have mentioned him in this class. And uh, right now he lives in Hawaii. I need to go see him. Uh, his name is Richmond. And he's from Malaysia. Have you guys heard me talk about him? And he came to, he came to America after he got out of college to, to get, get a job. But more importantly, you know why he came to America? Money. No. Well, I think maybe a little bit of the money. But the number one thing was... He was a John Wayne groupie, and he wanted to see a cowboy. He came to America because he wanted to see a cowboy, and he wanted to see if that was really true. So he came to he came to Texas, and it didn't work. And he came to Kansas City, and if he came to Kansas City to see cow cowboys, he went to the wrong place. He should have been Dodge City or someplace. He should have been there. But he comes to Kansas City. He ends up getting saved. He's a great guy. He married a lady that that, and they're both opposites. She kind of reminds me. Uh, you just don't think they would mix together, but they're they're a neat couple. But anyway, uh, he gets saved. But he goes home to Malaysia, and his dad is an idol worshiper. He truly is an idol worshiper. He's, he's he he and he worships several different ones. So he he went home once. A few years back, and he and he he noticed while he was there in his his dad's den or whatever that he's got several idols, and he's got them stacked up on top of each other, and he's got one idol one idol that has money that has the signature of, of money on it. It is a it's a money idol, and it's on the bottom, and all the rest of them are on top. And he goes, Dad, he goes, I just got a question for you. Why is your idol money on the bottom of the pile? He goes, well, he hasn't been very good to me lately. <laughs> and, I mean, honestly. And so he put him on the bottom of the rest of the, of the little statues. And we look at that and laugh. But he's serious. Mm-hmm. That's the way these people are here in the Hosea. They are worshiping idols because they truly believe that that idol was giving them things. And do you understand why God is so upset with them? It's like, guys, I'm the living God. I created you. I've put you where you're at. I brought you guys into the land. I've given you everything you have. And because you have, you're even in my land. Because even in this chapter, he says, I'm going to kick you out of my land. And he's going through that and he goes, and you guys have the audacity to fall down to an idol that some guy made with his hands? And they made their own idols. <laughs> I mean, come on, guys. What, where, where are you at? That's where we're at with these people. And so they're basically, 
you know, they're worshiping these idols because they are expecting something. That's what I want to try to get into our minds today because that's the Israelites. They should have expected it from God. But they're doing it with the idols and God at the same time. And God's like, guys, I've let you went. You've went as far as you've gone. And I'm getting ready to pull a chain on you guys. And I'm going to yank you clean out of the country because you're not obeying what I said. So that's what I want to try to get across, okay? They're playing both sides, expecting that they're going to get something from bowing down to these idols. Verse 2, God tells them that worshiping the golden calf or the golden bull is not going to work. So let's read that. It says, The floor and the wine press shall not feed them, and the new wine shall fail on her. They were just expecting a reward in verse 1, but God says, guess what, guys? It's not going to happen. He's the holder of the I'm not going to let it. (laughs) So God's basically telling them, you guys are falling down to these idols, and you're expecting good crops, you're expecting to have a lot of calves this year, or a lot of lambs, or whatever, but I'm going to make sure it doesn't happen. I'm going to make sure that you are not prosperous because you're looking at the wrong guy. So he says, no. He goes, the golden bull, it's not going to work for you guys. You've got to read between the lines. You really don't see it. He, did, he doesn't say that their, their golden calf isn't going to work, but he's telling them, you are expecting a good crop. You're not going to get it. Okay. And in verse 3, God says that he won't let them stay in his land. Let's read that. It says, They shall not dwell in the Lord's land, but Ephraim shall return to Egypt, and they shall eat unclean things in Assyria. And so we're going to see that here in just a little bit later. It says, uh, 13 times I've found in the book of Hosea, the nation of, of Egypt pops up. And yet we know that when they are carried away into captivity, they don't go back to Egypt. They go to Assyria, but it keeps popping up and saying that some of them will. So what does that tell me? It tells me that some of them did end up back in Egypt. And some of, but the majority will end up in Assyria. And so even commentators, even people today go, well, you know, they, they didn't go back to Egypt. They went to Assyria. Well, my, my Bible keeps popping up and saying that they're going back to Egypt, or some of them are. So, 13 times Egypt pops up. And so you're like, okay, so um, go back to 2 Kings chapter 17. 2 Kings chapter 17. And we're going to see if we can connect Egypt and Assyria together, because they're, they're miles apart. But they keep coming up over and over and over and over. So, what did I say? 2 Kings 17. All right. And we'll just start in verse 1. It says, in the twelfth year of Ahaz, king of Judah, began Hoshea, the son of Ella, to reign in Samaria over Israel nine years. So this guy that's reigning nine years is the northern kingdom. Verse 2, and he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, but not as the kings of Israel that were before him. Verse 3, against him came up Shalmazar, 
king of Assyria, and Hoshea became his servant and gave him presents. So before they were ever carried away into captivity into Assyria, the Assyrians came up and says, "Hey, we want we're going to put a tax on you, and you guys got to give us this tax. And if not, we're going to come in and 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 uh, destroy you, take you captive. And but if you just you know you just give us what we want, it'll be fine." Okay, and so he gave him presents. Verse 4, And the king of Assyria had found a conspiracy in Hosea, for he had sent messengers to So, king of Egypt, and brought no present to the king of Assyria, as he had done year by year. Therefore the king of Assyria shut him up and bound him in prison. And, well, here's what was happening. The king of Assyria came up and says, I'm taking this nation over unless you guys pay me on a yearly basis. Well, the king here sent to Egypt and says, hey, can you help me out with this guy? I'll hire you guys to come up here and fight him. And but So then the king of Assyria found that out, and so he puts the king in jail. Okay, so that's what's going on here. Verse 5, Then the king of Assyria came up, thrilled all the land, and he went up to Samaria, and he besieged it three years. So for three years, they're fighting against the northern kingdom to try to take it. Verse 6, In the ninth year of Hosea, the king of Assyria took Samaria, and he carried Israel away into Assyria, and placed them in Hala and Habor by the river Gozen and the cities of the Medes. 4, verse 7, It was that the children of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God, which had brought them up out of the land of Egypt from under the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and had feared other gods, and walked in the statutes of the heathen, whom the Lord cast out from before the children of Israel, and of the kings of Israel which they had made. And so it goes on down the list talking about what they did. So in this passage, it's showing that the king of Assyria does come up. He besieges the land and he finally uh, defeats them and carries them all back to to uh, Assyria. But in the meantime, they're trying to get a hold of the king of Egypt to come up and help fight them and, and keep them from battling these guys. So again, you keep seeing Egypt and Assyria keep bouncing back and forth. Now, if we know the map, and I will not do this justice, we've got we've got Egypt down at the bottom, we've got Israel kind of up here, and then Assyria is over here in this area. And so they're completely apart. Egypt and Assyria are completely apart, but yet they keep popping up. Over and over in the Bible. You got Egypt and Assyria, and you're like, okay, now how are these two connected? Because they're miles apart. Okay? So on the back of your, your handout, there's another there's another group there. It says Egypt and Assyria are connected religiously. They have the same religion. Okay? And we can see that. Uh, and Isaiah, go back to Isaiah chapter 52. And I want to just try to connect these a little bit, how they get connected. 
Isaiah chapter 52. And we're going to read 1 through 4. It says, Awake, awake, put on thy strength, O Zion, put on thy beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city, for henceforth there shall no more come unto thee the uncircumcised and the unclean. Shake thyself from the dust, arise and sit down, O Jerusalem. Loose thyself from the bands of thy necks, O captive of the daughter of Zion. For thus saith the Lord, Ye have sold yourselves for naught, and ye shall be redeemed without money. Verse 4, For thus saith the Lord God, My people went down aforetime into Egypt to sojourn there, and the, what's the next word? Assyrian. The Assyrian. Now where are they at? They're in Egypt. But he says, and the Assyrian oppressed them without a cause. When the, when the Israelites went down into Egypt with the famine, with Joseph and all that, and then Joseph finally got a, a favor with, with the Pharaoh at that point, and it was well with them for about 400 years, and then things started going bad. The king that came up after that pharaoh was an Assyrian. So how did an Assyrian guy from up here get all the way down here to become a pharaoh? And yet we know the Bible, and we have a blank there. It says pharaoh is a type of the Antichrist. So when Moses went in and was talking to Pharaoh about letting his people go, we know that the Pharaoh at that point was a type of the Antichrist. He is, exa- he is in the stead of Satan himself, or the Antichrist. But the, we also know that the Assyrian king is a type of the Antichrist also. So that the Assyrian king that came up and, and conquered the northern kingdom of Israel... He's a type of the Antichrist. And then Nebuchadnezzar, who came up, the Babylonian king, he's a type of the Antichrist. Every one of them is a type of Satan. Okay? So that's the connection. The connection with Egypt and the connection with the Assyrian kingdom up here they're connected with Satan because they're connected religiously. It's the same false religion. Okay. So that might help tie things in a little bit when you're going through the book of Hosea and it keeps talking about Egypt, it keeps talking about Assyria, and you're sitting here thinking, okay, so which one is it, God? Is it the Assyrian king or is it the Egyptian king? And it's basically the same. It's the same. That's why it keeps coming up over and over again. Okay, So verse 4 talks about, back to Hosea, let's get back there. I just want to kind of connect those two groups together, Egypt and Assyria. And again, it's the religious system. And verse 4 talks about, And they shall offer, not offer wine offerings to the Lord, neither shall they be pleasing to Him, for their sacrifices shall be unto them as the bread of mourners... Now all that eat thereof shall be polluted for their bread, for their soul shall not come into the house of the Lord. So God's not going to accept their offerings. So, it, I mean, 
everything I have here is on a bullet point because it's just, it's not big enough to have its own point, it, its own subheading. It's just, it just keeps piling on, okay? It's just, there's too many things almost to, to mention that, that the Israelites are doing. Verse 5 says, they were not keeping the feast. They're going to be destroyed and their homes are going to be covered in thorns and cobwebs. How long would that take you, got, you ladies to have uh, Not long. <laughs> cobwebs on your house if you don't dust it and take care of it? Not long. I'd be out of there. Yeah. yeah. Any of you have thorns around your thorn trees around your house? you have any thorn trees, Diane? Out in the woods, but yeah, I mean... Not close to the house. Over on the hedgerow. Yeah. yeah. Coming up around our driveway there are but there's but you know what it probably wouldn't take long mm-hmm. would it on front porch line here you see a lot of thorns and bushes and oh really they haven't cleaned it was a pile of leaves this high on the whole probably from bev to the corner on each side of my door oh really I finally picked up the leaves but all the other stuff still there. it's still there so it's amazing how things go to pot when they're not taken care of. And he says, he goes, you're going to be destroyed. Your, your homes will be covered in thorns and cobwebs. And verse 7, he says, the days of visitation are come. He goes, it's finally here, guys. It's finally here. The days of recompense are come. Israel sh- and Israel shall know it. He goes, you're going to know it when it hits. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, they are. Okay. The prophet is thought of as a fool, and the spiritual man is thought of as being crazy. Now, let me stop for a little bit and think, how is that fitting in right now? Do most people, what do people think about Bible believers today in our country? You're a Bible thumper. You're one of those. You actually believe the Bible. Then what are you going to believe if you don't believe the Bible? You know? Uh, yeah, you're a Bible thumper. You're actually crazy. So we're seeing that right here. The person that has a relationship with God, people will know it. People see it. They'll see you. They'll see how you act. And but but they'll do. They'll play out of both sides of their mouth. They'll they'll make fun of you on one side, but on the other side, when they need help or or, or they they know something's going on, they'll come and find you. Mm-hmm. They will. So, verse 8, it talks about the watchman. It says, the watchman of Ephraim was with my God. But the prophet is a sneer of a fowler in all his ways and hatred in the house of his God. The watchman at that point was with God, but they had fallen asleep. It talks about that in the book of Ezekiel. The watchman. You know what? How, how easy would it be for us to go AWOL in this country, pretty easy. Just stop reading your Bible. Just stop coming to church. Just stop praying and see how fast your life goes down the toilet. I mean, do it. Try that if you want. I would not do that. But, I mean, there's been a few times in my life when, I, when things were just kind of spiraling down in my life. And my wife finally told me, she goes, when's the last time you prayed, Bob? When's the last time you opened up your Bible? Yeah, the devil worked that on me when I have, most of you know I have a war room wall. When I went to Virginia to visit, I took all that down and put it in a little notebook because I wanted to take it with me and continue to pray. When I got back, instead of putting it back up on the wall and spending that enclosed time, 
I just kept it in the notebook and just kept going through it. And then one day when I finished, God just sort of laid on my heart, why haven't you got this on the wall? And I was like, well, I'm praying for it. The devil doesn't want me to come to a closed time where you choose to get up and sit down and face this wall and spend your nothing but around you but time with him. He doesn't want that. So it's easier to sit back in your recliner with a drink over here and flip through a couple of pages and praying. You're not concentrating on those prayers that I say. Not everybody's on my war room. They're in my prayer page too. But the war room gets the ones that are most intense. Satan is fighting those people. You know, and they need somebody to lift them up to God and say, this is important. All prayers are important, Lord, but this one's got real trouble. Yeah, it's those little things. I think when we when we when we go, oh, I don't need to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that's that's kind of small. No, it's those little details. That's what God wants. It's He He wants that friendship. He wants that fellowship with us on a daily basis. And we cannot get to that point where we let stuff go. Right. Uh, verse nine and ten talks about the land was fully given over to sexual impurity. It says, they've corrupted themselves as in the days of Gibeah. Therefore, he will remember their iniquity. He will visit their sins. Okay, Verse 11, it says that Ephraim's glory is going to fly away like a bird. So again, we just keep getting little snippets that's taking place. How would you know? How how would you like it when if God told you your, your glory is going to just fly away like a bird? You know, uh, verse twelve. God's going to kill their children. Now that's getting pretty serious. He goes. Verse twelve says, "Though they bring up their children, yet will I bereave them, and that there shall not be a man left. Yea, woe also unto them when I depart from them." So I mean, the Lord just over and over. I mean, it's just getting as bad as it gets. Verse thirteen, Ephraim was a beautiful place. The Bible talks about, but they shall be destroyed, and they shall bring their children to the murderer. Verse 14, God's going to give them miscarriages. So over and over, it just, again, it's going down, it's going down the toilet just as fast as you can. Verse 15 talks about all their wickednesses in Gilgal is, it was there that God hated them and God will love them no more. God has put the fork in. He, he's done. He's already decided, guys, I am completely done with you guys. Verse 16, Ephraim is smitten, their root is dried up, and they shall bear no fruit. Yea, though they bring forth, yet will I slay even the beloved fruit of their womb. So God's not, even if they end up having children, God's going to make sure that their children die. I mean, how bad do you have to get before God says, I'm even going to kill your children? I'll make sure of it. And I'll make sure of it. I mean, very depressing stuff here. And then at the very end, I want you to notice that Hosea, you would think now after going through this, I'm getting depressed. (laughs) And I'm like, uh, but look at what about Hosea? Hosea's already went through two wives. He's already went through all this. He's seeing this happening. He's seeing them getting ready. I mean, all this taking place. What? How about his relationship with God? Is he to the point where he's going to chuck it? Well, let's see what verse 17 says. It says, My God, well, he still calls God his God. 
Did you catch that? He says, my God, my God will cast them away. Okay? Because they did not hearken unto him, and they shall be wonders among the nations. So the last blank there says that my God will cast them away because they did not hearken unto him. It's really that simple. It really boils down to this. You know, you have people that talk about today, why does God allow bad things to happen to good people, right? Why does God allow things to happen to me? Why does God allow this stuff to happen? And in bottom line, it comes down to this. Man's free will. It really does. That's it. You want to know why we're in the mess that we're in? It's because God gave man the ability to choose to serve him or not choose to serve him. Our world is, you know, we look at our world and we go, well, you know, our world's messed up. There's sin in our world, but, you know, it's, it's a beautiful place. You know, the beaches are beautiful. Mountains are beautiful. You know, we, we have this. We have homes. We, you know, we live in a nice country. We have this. And we actually live in a toilet because it is nothing what it was when God created it for Adam and Eve. When Adam sinned, our world just went from being beautiful, colorful world to a black and white cesspool. And the only reason we don't see that is because we didn't see it. And yet, But God allowed all that to happen because He's given mankind the ability to either choose Him or not choose Him. All through the book of Hosea, all through the nation of Israel, he tells them, if you obey my laws, if you uh, uh, do my judgments, and if you go through the feasts, and if you uh, worship me, I will do this for you. I will give you everything that you could possibly need. And yet, they went opposite. And you're like, how could they do that? That's, that's us. That's us. And so maybe we need to go through this to see this and, and think about it and go, you know what, no matter what happens, we have got to stay true to the course. We've got to serve Christ. Because what's the option? The option is, do we really think if we started serving somebody else besides Christ, it would be better for us? I mean, think, I mean that's crazy. It's like there's one God, and outside of that, there's no other God. And so we're like, well, wait a minute. You know, we've been serving God for a long time. Let's see how it is going the other way. Well, there's only two people you're worshiping, right? You're either worshiping Satan or you're worshiping God. That's it. It boils down to those. All through the Old Testament, um, we would see the nation of Israel. You know, in the book of Judges, once they got in the land and then they would do what's right and then they'd fall off. Then they'd get another person, they'd do what's right and they'd fall off. And then kind of in our life, we do the First John 1, 9. When we, when we sin, we just go to God and we ask for forgiveness and we get things right. And yet, as, as a country, that's what they were, but they wasn't, you know, how, let me stop here and let me re-ramp this right quick. I've got a chart on my, a little circle on my map in my Bible. And I probably could find it, but I'm running out of time. And it's where uh, God's people, uh, 
let's just say they're doing right. So what happens when you're not doing right? You're you're doing wrong, right? <laughs> so so let's just say you sin. Let's just put it that way. You sin. And then what do you do? For us. Then you ask the Lord for forgiveness. When you realize, oh man, I, I should have not done that or this. So then you do a first John one nine. And then God what's God do for us? Forgives us, restores us. Uh, so this I'm just gonna put restore. Okay. And then it kind of just goes around in a circle. But what happened with, with Israel was they started to sin. And then they didn't. They finally got to the point where they didn't go back to God to make it right. And then it just stopped. It just instead of the circle going around, it just it just stops. They they uh, instead of being restored, they got destroyed. Just because they didn't go back to the Lord. So if. In our country today, you know, our country right now is basically on the way to hell. Mm -hmm. There are people around us, and we got to realize that. And so we have got to, and so what do we got to do? We got to serve Christ. And I know I'm talking to the choir guys, but you know, this this is where the rubber meets the road. And if, uh, so if our country's on the way to hell, we got to serve Christ. But you know what? Our churches may go down the tube too. So what do you do? You still serve Christ. What's the option? There's no other option. Uh, what if your church goes away from Christ? You keep serving Him. What about your friends? What if they all kind of go off the deep end? Then they go off. Then they go off, right? Okay. Pray for them. Okay. Um, yeah, you keep serving Christ. It's always been a battle. It's always been a battle. I mean, we're talking about the book of Hosea, and that was 600 years before Christ. We talked about Adam and Eve. There was a battle going on there. There was a battle all the time. It's always been a battle. After, after we get done with the book of Hosea, I'm going to take a short time, and we're going to go through some Baptist history. It's been a. It's ever since the New Testament church, it's been a battle. It's always a battle. No matter what time of of history you live in, it's always been a battle, and it really boils down to two things. Yeah, because that's the way it is from the beginning. Because God said there'll be enmity between mankind and Satan. I mean, it's just. The way it is. Right. There's there's a battle all the time. And so even in our life right now, we see it because, I mean, we've, we've lived a pretty good era. I have in my life. I haven't been in a war and all that like some people before me, World War II and all that. But, you know, things are just really getting worse and worse all the time. But what do we need to realize? It's always a battle. It's always a battle. And so we just have to continue to stay true to Christ and and uh, follow him. It's been a battle since Adam and Eve. It's been a battle in every New Testament church. It's been a battle even today. So what do we got to do? Just keep following the Lord and let him 
get us where we need to go. So let's uh, go ahead and pray and then we'll get moving. Father in heaven, we thank you for the book of Hosea. And Lord, it is depressing to go through this book and to see what the people did, Lord. But Lord, help us to, to realize there are people in our lives that have the same attitude, that, that don't know you as Lord and Savior. And Lord, I pray that they would uh, see Christ in us and see, uh, see us being obedient to you, Lord. So we pray for that. We pray for our loved ones that, that, that are lost, Lord, and we just pray that you would uh, use us to, to be an influence to them, and we pray they come to know you as Lord and Savior. So we pray that today, and I pray that you'd help all of us to, to realize that it, even the little things that we do in our life, Lord, make a difference to the people around us, and that we need to be obedient to you. So we ask your blessing upon that and, and blessing upon the rest of today, and in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you, Bob. Well, praise God. One more chapter and then it's restoration. Restoration. Good news.